Hey, good morning again. My name is Matt Howell. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer, and I want to welcome you. Thank you for joining us on the interwebs this morning, and I'm just thankful to be with you and, and want to welcome you regardless of where you find yourself this morning. If you come uh, from a place of joy, if you're coming in from a place of sorrow, if you find yourself uh, believing these things, doubting these things, if you find yourself loving wearing masks or hating wearing masks, wherever you find yourself this morning, we're just thankful to have you. I wanna welcome you to Redeemer. Well, what is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer is a church. And what that means is that we're a community of people and we're trying to learn how to love God and trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And what we do fundamentally is we get together each week, every Sunday to worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so that we might rest in his great love for us. And then we gather together throughout the week, individually over coffee or tea or milkshakes or collectively over community groups or small groups or Bible studies so that we might remind one another of his great love for us. And as we rest and as we remind, we delight to spread throughout Midtown in service so that together we might reflect his great love for us. Because we really do, we dream of seeing lives and relationships in our city flourishing through the redemptive love of Jesus. And so that's who we are. We're a community of people. We're trying to learn how to love God. We're trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest and as we remind and as we reflect. And in order to help us do that this summer, what we're doing is we're looking at the parables. These were, this is a form of teaching that Jesus did. These are small little stories that Jesus told uh, to teach us about what it's like to connect with God. And we're going to look at a, probably one of the most familiar stories that Jesus has told, the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a story, even if you're not around churchy circles, you've heard that language, you're probably familiar with at least the basic idea of this story. It's, it's this invitation to love. And I just want to tell you on the front end, it's pretty dangerous to do what we're about to do because this story and this call to love, it's so familiar, it's, it's so um, normalized to us that we can become pretty numb to actually what is pretty shocking about this parable and about this teaching. Here's what I mean by this. Think about it like this. My wife and I, we have two small kids, and when our kids were much younger, uh, I remember singing the song Rockabye Baby to our daughter when she was younger, and because this was really the first time I had a child, this was the first time I paid attention to the lyrics of the song Rockabye Baby, which are very disturbing. Have you ever paid attention to the lyrics of the nursery rhyme, Rockabye Baby? Let's just walk through it real quickly. Here's how it begins. Rockabye Baby in the treetop. So the whole song begins with an infant and a crib and a tree for some reason. Just up there. That's, how the, that's the setup. Then the next line, when the wind blows, the cradle will rock. So now the wind is picking up and the cradle is rocking perilously back and forth on a tree branch. The next line, when the boughs break, the cradle will fall. Boughs is just another word for branch. So when the branch breaks, the child in the crib start plummeting towards the earth and then it ends and down will come baby, cradle and all. That's, that's, that's what we sing to our children before they go to sleep 
to calm them down. It's crazy. You, you, you stop and you listen to the lyrics of that song and it's disturbing, it's unsettling. But you know, you hear that song and you sing that song over and over and over and you don't ever stop to pay attention to it. But this is my point. Jesus is talking about something that sounds so familiar. Love each other, love your neighbor, love, love, love. And it just can, we can be so numb to the fact that what, if you can stop and actually pay attention to what he's saying, it should unsettle us. So what I wanna do is just walk through the passage so that we're all on the same page. And then I wanna just show you three points that Jesus is making about this invitation to love, this call to love. So let's walk through the story. The story begins in verse 25 with a lawyer. Now don't think of a civil lawyer, think of like a Bible lawyer. Like this is talking about like the Old Testament law. So this is a Bible scholar, this is a seminary professor. And it says that he steps up to Jesus to test him, to trap him. And here's why. Jesus has been walking around talking about God, talking about God's law, but he has been hanging out with really sketchy people. And this guy sees Jesus and wants to expose Jesus as a sham because he's talking all this religious talk, but he's not actually walking the walk. And so he steps up to him and he asks him this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he's expecting Jesus to say something like, well, just pray this prayer, believe the gospel, accept me as your personal savior. It doesn't really matter how you live. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus asks a question. He, he responds to the question with a question. He says in verse 26, well, what's written in the law? You're the Bible scholar, you tell me. And so the Bible scholar responds by quoting two Old Testament passages. He says in verse 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus agrees. A plus on the Bible test. You nailed it. He says, do this and you will live. Well, verse 29, the Bible scholar is not cool with that answer. He's like, okay, but what does that mean? What does it mean to love your neighbor? Because certainly, that just can't mean anybody. That's just so vague. If you, if you put this in our context, just think about the thousands and thousands of refugees in our world. Think about the, 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 the tons of people in Africa that don't have access to clean drinking water. Think about the staggering poverty in India. Think about the poverty and homelessness right here in our own city. Think about the experience of people of color through the centuries of our country. Loving your neighbor can't possibly mean I'm personally responsible to love everybody, right? That's his question. Who's my neighbor, Jesus? So Jesus tells him this story. He tells him this parable. Verse 30, Jesus says, well, there's this guy that was at the wrong place. He's at the wrong time. He's in a dangerous neighborhood. He gets jumped by a gang and they beat him up and they leave him for dead after they take all this stuff. And in verse 31, Jesus says there's this priest that comes on the scene and he sees this guy, but he keeps walking. Now, in our modern context, it would be like there's this pastor that's on his way to church and he's going to preach in front of a thousand people and he thinks to himself, well, I, I can't stop and take care of this one guy. In 15 minutes, I'm on to go preach in front of a thousand people. I can do way more good doing this than to help this one guy. Somebody else will come behind me and help him eventually. So he walks on. And then after the priest, there's this Levite that comes along. Now to translate what a Levite is into our modern context, this would be like a, 
volunteer that helps out with a high school ministry. And he sees this guy on the side of the road and he thinks to himself, well, I've got 15 sophomores waiting for me at Panera. I'm about to lead a Bible study through Philippians. They're waiting on me. I can't, I can't just stop and take care of this guy. I gotta go do this. And so he leaves him. And Jesus there's this, tells us there's this third guy that comes on the crime scene and he is a Samaritan. Now, as you might know, Jewish people back in Jesus's day and age uh, despised Samaritans. There's a whole fascinating history as to why this is that I'll spare you the details of, but bottom line is that in Jesus's day, Jewish people saw Samaritans as racially and culturally and spiritually inferior. It was normal to despise them and despise each other. And Jesus puts that guy, the enemy, as the hero of the story. He's the one that stops. He's the one that tangibly starts to take care of this guy and heal him and bring him back to health. And so Jesus ends this story and he looks at the Bible scholar and he says, okay, you were asking me about neighbor love in my little story here. Who was the neighbor? Who extended love? And the guy can't even say the word Samaritan. He just says, it was the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus goes, okay, do that. Here's his point. What does love of neighbor look like? It means tangible, costly acts of mercy to the people that are in need, even if they hate you, and even if you hate them. Jesus says that's, that's what the Bible means when it says go love your neighbor, go do that. That's the point. Now, if we're gonna stop and listen to the lyrics of this song, as it were, I, I hope it will unsettle us. I hope it will shock us because Jesus is showing us three things about love. He is showing us the conditions of love, the cost of love, and the cause of love. Hope you picked up on that alliterative magic that just happened right there. The conditions of love, the cost of love, and the cause of love. So let's just look at these one at a time briefly. First, the conditions of love. In, in other words, if you're gonna be someone that loves your neighbor, there, have to be, there are some conditions that have to be already set in place in your heart if you're gonna love. In, in other words, what are those necessary preconditions that have to be there? I'm sure there's a ton, I just wanna highlight two. The first condition of love is that you have to see. You can't love unless you literally see the needs in front of you. Look at what the Samaritan does, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, the man was, and when he saw him. Now, some needs are obvious. Somebody goes through a crisis. Uh, somebody loses their job. Uh, somebody has a baby, and there's all these obvious needs. But oftentimes, uh, needs are much harder to see. Harder to see because they are either invisible to us for lots of different reasons or because we just frankly don't want to see them. We willfully look the other way. There's a great song by Ingrid Michaelson called Keep Breathing. It's an unbelievably honest song. The first line of that song goes like this. A storm is coming, but I don't mind. People are dying, I close my blinds. 
Here's what she's saying. She's saying, I look out at the world and I see people dying and my response to it is just to close the blinds. It's too much. I don't want to see it. I'm willfully choosing to look the opposite direction. And I understand why, because you know as well as I do, to see the needs, it's so overwhelming. It's so much. It's just easier to look the other way. But seeing needs is not enough. There has to be another condition in place. In fact, if you noticed in verse 31, the priest sees the man on the side of the road, but he ignores it. In verse 32, the Levite sees the man on the side and they both keep going. You don't just have to see the needs, but secondly, you also have to have compassion. So look at how verse 33 ends. It says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him, so he sees him, he had compassion. Now, compassion literally means to suffer with to suffer with. It's not just to see a need, but to have your heart broken over it. In 1955, there was a 14-year-old boy named Emmett Till who came from Chicago to Mississippi to visit some of his relatives. And as you probably know the story, he was out and about and he was accused of saying something inappropriate to a white woman in the town. So later that night, in the middle of the night, two men came to his home, dragged him away from his house, and they beat him, and they mutilated him, and they shot him, and they sunk him in the river. And his body was found a few days later, and they shipped the body back to Chicago. And when his mom received the body, she decided to do something pretty unorthodox. She decided to have an, an, an open casket uh, funeral. And she didn't want the mortician to do any reconstruction work or repair work or cosmetic work. She displayed the remains of her son as is for the whole world to see. Now, why did she do that? She was saying to the world, you have to see the brutality of this and let it devastate you. She's saying, we're not, gonna, we're not gonna heal from the horrors of racism until you look at them and face them and let them break you. Jesus calls us to resist this pull in us towards ignorance, towards apathy, and to begin to see the needs of the broken world around us until it begins to also break us which I don't know what that would mean for you and me. That means a lot of different things. That might mean reading things that you're not used to reading, learning about things that you're not used to learning about. It might mean watching documentaries about injustice or the, uh, the brokenness of the criminal justice system. It might mean sitting down and hearing stories from people of color or hearing stories from women or hearing stories from uh, people that are living in, uh, in poverty. I don't know what it would mean for us to open up our eyes and to continue to learn, but I think Jesus is calling us, if we're gonna be people that love, which is not just what we're commanded to do, but what we are made and designed to be, if we're gonna be people that love, the conditions are we have to see the needs and then let them shatter us. That's the first step, the conditions of love. But secondly, Jesus also shows us the cost of love, the cost of love. Look at what the Samaritan does. First of all, a Samaritan stops, which is pretty important because this is a dangerous area. This is a dangerous part of this road. And the men that jumped this guy are still in the area. For him to stop and take care of this guy means that he could have very easily been targeted by the robbers next. So for him to stop 
and begin to take care of this guy on the side of the road, it begins to cut into his safety. But it, it also cuts into his schedule. I mean, he provides immediate medical attention. He takes him to the inn and he stays with him through the night. And then he tells the innkeeper the next morning, uh, I will be back later to check on him. I mean, he's committing big chunks of time to this guy on the side of the road. And you have to realize he was not just on a donkey ride, riding around looking for people to help. He was going somewhere because he had something to do. For him to stop and clear his day means he's canceling appointments. He's standing people up. This is cutting into his schedule and his time, not just his safety, not just his schedule, but also cuts into his savings. I don't know if you noticed this, but this guy shells out tons of resources to take care of this man. He's, he uses his bandages. He uses his transportation. He pays for room service at the inn. And then he opens up a tab. He basically hands the guy at the front desk a credit card and says, whatever it costs for however long it takes, and then I'll, be, I'll come back and pay the bill. Whatever it costs for however long it takes, that's the cost of love. It's, it's limitless. It's immeasurable. Now, when, when the Boston Marathon bombing happened a few years ago, you might remember there was this police chase that happened right afterwards. And the, the two brothers that were responsible for the bombing, there was a shootout and the older brother was killed by the police during that incident. And, and I was reading about this and it was interesting. There, there was a big um, issue over where, to bury this, over where to bury his body because no cemetery, no township wanted his remains on their property. And so there was this big issue. It was like, what are we gonna do with this, with this body? And there was this woman named Martha Mullen. There was a Christian woman, Martha Mullen, who intervened and she took it upon herself to kind of step into the situation. She had no relationship with the family. Uh, obviously she had no um, religious affiliation. She's a Christian. And she called around and she found a cemetery and she made arrangements and she took care of where this man was gonna be buried. And NPR later interviewed her. And here's what they said to her. They said, do you know how unpopular what you did is? What in the world motivated you? And her response was, Jesus said that we are to love our enemies. And they said, do you realize that you've put yourself in danger by getting involved in this? And she said, Jesus made it very clear that the aim of this life is not to be comfortable. I mean, her willingness to love cut into her safety, it cut into her schedule, it cut into her savings. The point is, Gospel love doesn't do a cost-benefit analysis with people. We don't look at people, we don't look at needs and size them up and say, is this person gonna benefit me or drain me? Is this situation, is this person gonna be too needy and too demanding of me? Gospel love has no reference point for your boundaries, for your comfort, for your time, for your energy, for your money. It has no reference point for your self-protection. Gospel love is reckless. It, it, it means to give yourself away for somebody else that might hate you and you might actually hate them. You know, the culture is calling us towards tolerance right now. Just tolerate people that disagree with you. Uh, 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 accept and affirm lifestyles you, may not disagree, you, you might not agree with or beliefs that you might agree with, which by the way, that would be... A, 
awesome. It'd be, tolerance and acceptance would be a million times better than what we currently have because what we currently have is outrage culture, cancel culture, just different tribes throwing grenades at each other on Twitter. Tolerance and acceptance would be a massive upgrade. But I want you to see, Jesus is calling us to something infinitely more than that, to love, to lay down your life for people that disagree with you and you disagree with, to give up your time and your resources and your comfort on the behalf of other people who might think that what you believe is bonkers and you might think what they believe is bonkers, but gospel love calls you to give yourself up for them. Now here's the last question. And here's the million-dollar question. How in the world can we do this? Because this is irrational. I mean, this is crazy. I hope you're disturbed and, shocking by, and shocked by what Jesus is actually calling us to do. How can you do this? What's the cause of love? Well, let's look at this last thing. You can only love like this if you have first been loved like this. An experience of love is what awakens you to then love. Love awakens love. And another point in the Bible, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says this, we love because he first loved us. That's the cause. Now, Tim Keller, a pastor in New York that I've referenced before, whom I'm sure many of you are familiar with, he made this observation about this passage that I think is brilliant. He says, Jesus could have set up the story any way that he wanted. He could have had the Samaritan as the guy that was bloody and dying on the side of the road, and he could have had the Jewish Bible scholar as the one that walked along and helped him, and then Jesus would have looked at the actual Bible scholar guy and said, well, go and do that. And the Bible scholar would have said, that's a stupid story. Nobody does that. Why would we care for those, you know, dirty Samaritans? That's not how Jesus sets up the story. He doesn't put the Samaritan as the guy beaten and bloodied on the side of the road. He puts the Jewish guy, the, the Bible scholar guy, as the one in need. And he puts his only hope as an act of grace from this enemy of his that really owed him nothing but hostility and instead gave him kindness and mercy. And what Jesus is doing is he's looking at the Bible scholar and he's looking at you and me and he's saying, what if you're the one that's beaten up on the side of the road? What if you're the one that's desperate and your life has fallen apart? What if your only hope was an act of free grace from somebody that owed you nothing but hostility? Jesus is telling the story because he's telling us we're the ones dying on the side of the road. We're the ones that have rebelled against God and in our sin and in our rebellion, we haven't loved God and we haven't loved our neighbor. And as a result, that's why we find ourselves so broken and so messed up on the side of the road. And God had every right to ignore us, to reject us, to spit on us with judgment and keep walking. But he doesn't. He sends the greater Samaritan King Jesus comes to our aid and he comes to us and on the cross, he gives up everything. Out of love for us, it cuts into his safety, it cuts into his schedule, it cuts into his savings, it cuts into his blood, it cuts into his life. He gives up everything out of an act of pure grace for someone like you and me when he owed us nothing but rejection. Now, if you know that you have been loved like that, if you know that you're the desperate person in need on the side of the road, experiencing love like that, that has to awaken love in you. 
That's what liberates you to actually then go and love, which you were created to do and commanded to do. Love is what awakens love. Here's the final thought, final point. I'll end with this. In 1996, there were 17 members of the KKK that held a rally in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And there were hundreds of people that came to protest this rally and they had signs and there was there were police there and their riot gear and their shields and their tear gas ready to kind of hold off any violence that may have broken out. In the middle of the crowd, there is a um, man, a white man who's wearing a Confederate flag shirt and a, a Nazi tattoo on his arm. And somebody spots him in the crowd and they call out in a megaphone, there's a Klansman in the crowd. And the man tries to get away, but there's this mob that forms and they knock him to the ground and they begin chanting, kill the Nazi, kill the Nazi. And they start kicking him and punching him and beating him with their, uh, the signs that they were holding from the you know, picketing. And as the blows are raining down on him, an 18-year-old African-American woman named Keisha Thomas throws herself on top of this man to shield him. Now the blows are now raining on her back until the eventually the, the crowd stops punching. Absolutely amazing story. In fact, there's pictures of this. You can, you can Google this. You can find this on the internet. There's pictures of this where there's this you know, white man curled in a ball holding his head and there's all these people around and there's this young black woman stretched over him with her arm up calling out for the you know, angry mob to stop. And there's an interview with the photographer, the, the, the person that took these pictures, and here's what the photographer said about this incident. He said, she put herself at physical risk to protect someone who, in my opinion, would not have done the same for her. What, who does that in this world? It's an amazing story that just blew this guy away. I've never seen love like this. Who does that in this world? You know who does that in this world? Writ large, it's King Jesus who comes and doesn't just give himself and risk himself to protect his enemies. He gives his life away to save his enemies and actually turn his enemies into his friends. We're the ones that chanted crucify him and he's the one that prayed, Father, forgive them. Now, do you know that you're the one that's desperate? Do you know the one that you're the one, you're the one that's broken and needy and bloody on the side of the road? Do you know that your only hope is an act of costly free grace from somebody who owes you nothing but hostility? If you know that about yourself, then I'm just gonna end by inviting you to the very thing that Jesus invited you to do. Go and do likewise. Consider that an invitation for you this morning. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would open up our eyes to see our own need and to see the way that you have so sacrificially, lovingly met that need. And consequently, I pray that that would awaken and expand and deepen love in us so that you would give us the inner resources and courage that we would be able to love others in the same way with grace, with kindness, with patience, and with a reckless abandon. Teach us the ways of love, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.